I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. Isaiah 54, 17, if you have it now, let's try it together. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, said the Lord. You may be seated. As you're seated, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? 2 Corinthians chapter 10. From the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, verse 4. New Testament. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down or for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Back to the top of that, please. For though we walk, for though we walk, For though we walk, well, we're all on a journey. We're all walking. We're all going somewhere. And every day, whether you intend to or not, you're adding on to that journey. We walk in the flesh. That means we walk in the natural. The flesh is my physical body and my soul. My soul is my mind, my heart, and my will. But we do not war according to the physical body or the mind, heart, and will, or can we say this, the physical and the emotional. Yes, we do not war according to the physical and emotional, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Carnal means flesh or physical and emotional. So the weapons of our warfare as Christians are not physical and emotional weapons but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds? Casting down arguments. Strongholds are arguments. Arguing with God. Arguing with preaching. Arguing with teaching. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or how much I know about God. The reason why I wanted to identify the Bibles is because you cannot know God outside of the Bible. And we bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I'm actually talking about the word of God today, your two-edged sword. To do that, I'm adding to that Hebrews 4 and 12. You should have this on your sheet. For the word of God, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, here's how it reads on your sheet from the God's Word translation. God's Word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and cuts as deep as the place where soul and spirit meet. Hmm. What is the soul? Your heart, your mind, and will. What is your spirit? 
the part of you on the inside that was born when you accepted Jesus Christ. How close are they? How close are they? Well, how close is an eggshell to the egg? It's closer than that. Have you ever boiled an egg and found that thin film on the egg? It's thinner than that film. Really, the place where joins the marrow, where joints and marrow meet, God's word judges a person's thought and the person's intention. How many of you ever thought one thing, but you did something else? Which means you intend something, but you say something else. You intended to do something, but you did something else. Well, that's the struggle between your soul and your spirit. Your soulish life is where you have these thoughts, but your spirit man intends for you to do good. Have you ever said something and as soon as you said it, you felt a knot in your stomach and you wanted to apologize? Well, that's what it's talking about. That deep down on the inside, there is a wall between your soul and your spirit thinner than that film on the boiled egg. That's how thin that wall is. And the only thing that can divide those two things is the word of God. So our thinking holds us hostage. Our thinking keeps us back. We intend to do right, but we do wrong. We intend to say right, but we say wrong. The only thing that can help us with that is God's word. Revelation 1.16 said Jesus had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Out of his mouth or the mouth of Jesus went a sharp two-edged sword. Well, there is no sword. But what comes out of the mouth? Words. When Jesus speaks, it gets your attention. People say, well, why do I go to church so that we can hear the word of the Lord? The music should be good, but the reason why the music is good, it gets us to that place where we're ready to listen to what God has to say. We don't come to church to see who's here or who's not here, who's going to participate or not participate. We come listening for God. It is a selfish preacher and a wrong preacher that takes preaching time to move personal agenda. You don't talk about your personal issues. People come to hear from God. The beautiful thing about it is, although I'm one person preaching, you are many listeners, which means that your neighbor may not hear the same thing that you hear. Because in between you and I is the power of the Holy Spirit. And what words I may speak in one sentence may mean one thing to you and another thing to your neighbor. Which means you may hear God one way and your neighbor may hear him the other way. Sometimes people will come up and they'll say, well, Pastor, I sure did enjoy it. I was blessed when you said so and so and I didn't say that at all. But you know what? That's what they heard. 
because they heard God speaking to them. They thought I said it, but I didn't. We are all here to hear from God. Now, there are some lessons I need us to learn before we go any further. We need a sword we can handle. We need a sword we can handle. The, the Bible is, the, the word is the sword. This is your weapon against all the other weapons we've talked about this summer. The devil uses distraction. The devil uses people. The devil uses deception. We've talked about all of that. What do we use? We use the word. But you need a sword you can handle. You need a translation you can handle. You need a size you can handle. You need it to be paper or electronic. But you need a sword. You are not, not going to be a victorious Christian. You are not going to be a victorious warrior without a sword. The sword is important. Are you hearing me? The truth is that people today often think that the Bible is something to support them or the Bible is something they can use against people they don't like. So they will quote scriptures to get even with people. And people will say, well, the Bible said you're going to reap what you sow. Or when a husband and wife is arguing, the man may say to the woman, the Bible said you're supposed to obey me. We use the word with the wrong understanding. The Bible is not to support your position. Nor is the Bible in addition to your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. But listen to me, the Bible is only a book unless you speak its words out loud. As long as you don't let it come out of your mouth, it might as well be Ebony Magazine or USA Today. The reason for having the word is so it will put words in your mouth. Are you hearing me? The Bible is not a book of power all by itself. It is the word of God. But it is only powerful when you release it into the atmosphere. Your world will change as you speak the words of God. You say, but I'm, I'm a very intellectual person. Well, that's great. You say, but I'm physically fit. That's wonderful. But the warfare that you're in cannot be won through intellect and physicality. You have to use the word of God. Everybody repeat, his word must become my words. Now God wants us all to thrive. What does thrive mean? Thrive means to prosper. Thrive means to increase and be successful. Years ago, before we had the test to tell us whether the baby was going to be a boy or a girl, you used to have to guess. And people would say, well, do you want a boy or a girl? And most of the time, people would say, I don't care. I just want the baby healthy. Well, what does healthy mean? It means the baby thrives. When the baby is born, you expect to see certain things and certain behavior. But if one year later, the baby is still behaving like he or she did the first week of birth. You know something's wrong. And if I'm a child of God, and if I'm still getting mad, I wish I had a witness. 
if I still have a bad temper, if I'm still hard to live with, if my attitude is still a disaster waiting to happen, if I'm not prospering financially, if I can measure no increase in my material life, if I'm still struggling paycheck to paycheck, I don't have a witness. If I cannot measure my success in a tangible way, I'm not thriving. There's a deformity somewhere. Because being a child of God means increase, progress, and prosperity. Without those things, it is clear that I'm not using the word of God. Because God's word is fertilizer for your life. If you fill your life with the word of God, your garden will bloom. Now, the there's a difference in surviving and thriving, and that difference is the relationship we have with the word. And God's son is the word. Let me try that again. Did you miss it? The difference in surviving and thriving is totally dependent on my relationship with the Son. And who is the Son? The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14 of John 1, the Word was made flesh. Jesus' name is the Word. And listen, my relationship with the name of Jesus determines my success. Now, mark it down. You can believe in Jesus and not believe in the power of the name of Jesus. Because they are two different things. I am Sherman Young. But I cannot be everywhere at the same time. But if you take my name to a place where my reputation is established, you can receive things there based totally on my name. I had two children in college at the same time. I couldn't be at both of those schools. I couldn't be at the UA and at Alabama State at the same time, but they could use my name. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? You believe in, the you believe in Jesus to be saved. Whosoever believes on him shall be saved. But you need to know how to use his name if you want doors unlocked. When Peter healed the man in Acts chapter 3, they put Peter and John on trial for that man being healed. And Peter said to them, this man having faith in the name of Jesus has been healed. You see, I can believe in Jesus and still be poor. Waiting on him to do something from the sky. I can believe in Jesus and still be hurting. Waiting on him to come to my rescue. When he's already told me, if you want to progress in life, use my name. I wish I had a witness here. Have you ever been attached to a credit account or credit card where there was more than one name? Your credit wasn't no good, but that cosigner's credit is what opened that door for you. I don't have a witness here. You couldn't buy a car without the name 
of somebody with better credit. My name in this world means little, but the name of Jesus can open any door that's closed to you. But you say, but I got faith in him. No, you need faith in him to be saved. But if you want to prosper, you got to learn how to call his name. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in my name. He said, and I, I wish I had some help. He said, and my father would do whatsoever you ask. He said, but my prayers aren't working. Well, what name are they in? Are you praying to Jesus? Lord Jesus, help me. He didn't tell you to do that. Are you just praying to God? God, help me. He didn't tell you to do that. He said, when you go to God, call my name. Why? Because there's authority in the name. I wish I had a believer around here somewhere. I said, there is authority in names. Names can open doors for you and names can close doors for you. Names carry weight. And the most authoritative name there is ever is the name of Jesus. Now, the first 30 years of our life, we learn to survive. The second 30, we should thrive. And the third 30, we should be giving away and providing. So the first 30, we survive. Can you say survive? The second 30, we thrive. Can you say thrive? And the third 30, we provide. Can you say provide? See, it takes the first 30 years to learn how to get life straight. I mean, you learn things in the first 30. You learn how to eat. You learn how to dress. You learn how to take care of your body. You learn how to take care of yourself. In the first 30, you learn your ABCs. You learn about numbers. In the first 30, you learn language. You learn other languages. In the first 30, you learn about business and contracts, how to pay rent, how to pay bills, how to not have your car repossessed, or how to bounce back if they did repossess it. In the first 30, you learn how to work on a job, get along with people. You learn how to be an employee or an employer. You do that in the first 30. In the first 30, you usually start having a family. So you may learn about children or you may learn about marriage or you may learn about managing your single life. But you do that in the first 30. By the time you get to the second 30, it's time for what you learned in the first 30 to start paying off. I wish I could get a little help along here. You see, in the second 30, I put my education to work. In the second 30, I put my life experiences to work. If I grew up in the streets in the first 30, I know how to avoid certain flim-flam scams, stealing and theft and murder and corruption in the second 30. The second 30 ought to be my most productive years. In the second 30, I just may pay my house off. In the second 30, I will, I will increase in wealth. I'll increase in numbers. I'll increase in everything that's right in the second 30. There's something wrong when you're still in the second 30 and still trying to learn how to survive. I'm not picking. I'm just looking for a witness. Listen, if you're 40 years old, you ought to by now have a pretty good idea on how to survive some people in their 40s and 50s say well I need to make a what, what's the matter I need to make a change why well I got to go out and find myself I mean I don't mean no harm but you're 50 years old 
and don't know who you are yet, that might be a real problem. Now, I can understand a 20-year-old trying to find themselves, a 25-year-old still having to work some stuff out, a 29-year-old still trying to see where they belong, but by the time you're 49, you ought to know a little bit about life. People ought not be able to make a plum fool out of you at 49. But then in the last 30, you start providing or giving away that which you've learned and that which you've achieved. We can't take it to heaven with us. We can't take it to the grave with us. But we can pass it on to younger people and help them to grow and help them to be strengthened and help them to be successful. Now, when you talk about the word and I'm done, number one, what we got to do is unveil the purpose of the word. Can you say the purpose of the word? Yes, we need to unveil the purpose of the word. Well, first of all, understand it's the word of God to me. The Bible, the word, my sword, my weapon is God's word to me. Not to my neighbor, but to me. Not to my children, but to me. Repeat after me. The word is to me, dedicated to me, sent to me, FedEx to me. When I have a problem, I need to look in the word for the solution. Oh, I can ask around for advice and other folk, but why not take it right back to the manufacturer? Because whatever you're dealing with in your life, God has something to say about it. And the word of God contains the revelation that I need because it's God's word to me in whatever I'm dealing with. But secondly, it is the will of God for me. I say it's the will of God for me. Some of us pray after we made up our minds. I don't have a witness. Some of us have already decided what we're going to do and then we go somewhere and pray and ask the Lord to bless it. But we never ask the Lord, what should we do? Because we want to use our prayer and our Bible to twist God's arm. Can I tell you something? Prayer don't change God's mind. I mean, you, you can't get God on your side because you want him to come to your side. Or because you made a foolish decision. We've got to learn that the word is God's will for me. Whatever God wants for Sherman Young, it is in his word. You say, but I don't understand the word. But listen, the truth is that as you begin to read it, God will open it up to you. Because it's his word for me. But not only is the word of God to me and the will of God for me, but it is the wisdom of God in me. I have to learn how to trust what I hear from God. And stand there. Come on now. The Bible said, it said, if you're going through a test of trial, count it all joy. No matter what you're going through. No matter what the test is. Why? It said, because you got to understand that the trying or the testing of your faith works or exercises patience. He said, now, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he'll give it to you freely. And abundantly. Well, why does, he, why does he tie wisdom with going through a trial? Because when you're going through a trial, you don't always understand why you're going through it. You might think that you're being punished when you're really being trained. 
I wish I had a witness here. Now, I haven't spent one day in the military. There are some military retirees in here, so I'm not going to step into a world that I don't know nothing about. But I have noticed in watching movies that when you go in the military, they put you in basic training. Now, I don't know much about it, but some of these brothers and sisters know about basic training. Everybody that I know that had gone through basic training always described it as hard. Now, when mama used to whip you, that was hard. So why are they being hard on you in basic training? Are they punishing you like mama? No, they're training you. I wish I had a witness. Have you noticed that your punishment and your training feel the same way? <laughs> they both hurt. And sometimes we're going through things and we don't know why. And that if I don't know why, that means I don't have the wisdom about this trial. I wish I could get a witness. People read that wrong. They think that verse means if you're not wise, pray and ask God for wisdom. That's not what that means. That type of wisdom comes through experience. It comes through living life. It comes through messing up and straightening up. How many know if you mess up and straighten up, you got that lesson down pat? That's the kind of wisdom that you can only get experientially. But there's another kind of wisdom that the word is talking about. And that is when you're going through a struggle in your life and you don't understand the purpose or the end result of this struggle. So what the Bible says is, that the word is God's wisdom. That's why the best position, are you looking? Are you looking? The best thing you can do when you're going through a struggle is this. I don't have a witness here. The best thing to do is not hang out with your friends and get their opinion. Because all they're going to say was, well, if it was me, this is what I would do. But it ain't none of them. All they're going to do is criticize or support you for whatever their reason might be. But when you're going through a struggle, a test, a time in your life when you, you're lost. Anybody here ever felt stuck in a certain position and you can't get out? Everything you thought about doing doesn't make sense. And then you think about if you do that, what if you can't recover from it? The best thing to do, are you looking? Is this. This is your weapon in the time of test, in the time of tribulation, in the time of trouble, in the time of confusion, in the time of chaos. In the time when you don't know which way to turn, make this turn. Turn the page. Because it is not only the word to you, God's will for you, but it is God's wisdom in you. And sometimes, I'll be honest, the prescription the word gives is as bitter as a dose of three sixes. 
Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I need some country folk around here that remember cow chip tea. Now, I never drank any, but I heard it. You know what cow chip tea is? You know what cow chip? Cow chip tea, okay. It's the tea you make from cow manure when you got the flu. Huh? Now, I never made any. But, you know, I know some of y'all too bougie for that. You, you be, you're kind of like a friend of mine had an uncle. They, they're from Canada. And he had an uncle. He was kind of like some of y'all bougie folk. And he just complained, complained. His, his sister would make that cow chip tea whenever they'd have colds. And, oh, he'd just talk about a runner down. Oh, y'all ought to be ashamed of yourself out there picking up that cow, you know, making tea. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. But that flu got him one year. Now, you know, if I mean the real flu. I'm not talking about a bad cold. A real flu would put you in bed. That flu got him one year. He coming in, Lord, have mercy. Lord, I'm so sick. Then he said to his sister, Mary, Oh, Lord have mercy. You, you think you can make me some of that tea? Well, she looked at him. She said, I thought you didn't like it. Well, yeah. <coughs> I'm just so sick. You think you can make me some? She said, yeah, John, I'll make you some. He said, well, listen, listen. How long is it going to take? She said, well, it's going to take me a while. You know, I got to get the water going, got to make the fire. He said, well, oh, Lord, can you break off a piece and let me chew on it till you get it ready? Sometimes what the word tells you to do tastes that bad. But you have to understand the promises. Second thing, and I'm ready to go. Understand the promises of the word. God is always truthful. God won't lie to you. He will never mislead you. Whatever prescription the word gives, do it. Because here's what y'all got to understand. Now, please hear me now. A promise from God is a completed event. If you find a promise from God in the word, it's already past tense. You see, in life, we're going day by day forward. We don't know that God works backwards. Your forward is God's backwards. See, God already finishes a thing, then he backs up to do it. You're not hearing what I'm saying. How many remember the story of Adam and Eve falling in the garden? Guess what the Bible said? Jesus had already determined to die before they were ever created. When Adam fell, that didn't surprise God because God had already made the plan out for the crucifixion before Adam fell. You said, but why would he do that? Because that's the way God works. You work from the beginning. God works from the end. That's why when you pray, God answers your prayers. He doesn't answer your prayers because you've given him some update on your life. 
He answers your prayers because he sees you as a finished project. He sees you as already being perfect. When God deals with you, he doesn't deal with you as somebody struggling and straining, trying to get through life. He deals with you as one already perfected. I ain't got enough help. I really shouldn't move from that point, but let me say this before I go on. When God looks at us, we're cooked. We're done. It's all finished. What did Jesus holler from Golgotha on that cross? It is finished. See, my problem is I think when I pray, I'm bringing God into the situation. What I don't realize is he's already handled it before it ever bothered me to begin with. Before I ever knew something was going wrong, he'd already answered that prayer. So when I pray, all I'm doing is making myself available to what he has already done. He doesn't have to go to work and help me. He's already done everything. I wish I had a witness. The word of God says, my help comes from the Lord. Well, the Lord is not busy now doing anything. He's already done everything. I said he finishes before he begins. Can you repeat that after me? God finishes before he begins. When you saw that Wilder fight that night, and for those who don't know who Wilder is, heavyweight champion of the world from Tuscaloosa. When you saw that Alabama victory, equal time, when you saw that Auburn victory, do you think they waited until they got to the game to decide whether they were going to win or not? When fighters crawl into the ring, that dude has already made up his mind. I'm a winner. You're a child of God. Are you a winner or are you working on it? Reach over and ask somebody, are you a winner or are you still working on it? Now, if you're still working on it, I got news for you. You ain't going to win. The only way you win is you got to know in the middle of it that you've already won. I don't have a witness here. Did you watch the baseball game at all? Have you ever been to a softball game? When you hit the home run, that's the score but you still got to run the bases. Listen, all I'm doing is running the bases. I've already won. God don't have to heal you. I'm trying to get my healing. Well, you ain't got to get it. Jesus already got it for you. He got it 2,000 years ago. And the Bible said with his stripes, you were healed. Not you're gonna be, not you might be, not you may be. It's already done. I said, it's already done. Elbow somebody, tell them it's already done. Uh Uh-uh, you ain't moved fast enough. Elbow somebody, tell them your healing is already done. Elbow somebody, tell them your breakthrough is already done. Why don't you reach over, touch somebody and tell them whatever you praying for, he's already worked it out. He doesn't have to work it out. He's already worked it out. 
I don't mean no harm, but that old song said Jesus will work it out if you let him. I got news for you. He's already worked it out. That problem that I had, I could not seem to solve. I prayed and I prayed, kept getting deeper involved. But I turned it over to Jesus, and guess what I found out? He'd already worked it out. He'd already worked out my healing. He'd already worked out my deliverance. He'd already worked out my breakthrough. He'd already worked it all out. And I got to realize something. The word, when I unleash the power of the word, I got to realize that Satan respects and retreats when he hears the word. You know the devil, he's not afraid of me, but he's afraid of the word. I said the devil is not afraid of my prayers, but he's afraid of the word. The devil is not afraid of my testimony, but he's afraid of the word of God. And when I call out the word, he retreats from me because the power is in the word. I said the power of God is in the word of God. And I want to close by saying whatever you need, the word works. I said the word works. If you're lonely, remember the word. It said the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you're down and out, don't know which way to turn. The word says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, and it says, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. If you feel like you're all by yourself, the word said, Lord, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. If your money runs out, what does the word say? My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Do you hear me? If you feel like you're losing the battle, what does the word say? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I don't know about you, but I got his word. I got his word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word shall abide forever and ever, forever and ever. I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to lean on his word. 
I'm going to depend on his word. Why am I going to depend on it? Because Jesus never fails. Judas never fails. Washington may fail. The United States may fail. North Korea has missiles, but those missiles can fail. But Judas never fails. I don't need Russia. I don't need North Korea. I don't need China. I got Jesus. And that's enough. Say it. Say it. Say it. Say it. Yes. Yes, yes, when I was sick, the word was right there. When I was broke and unemployed, the word was right there. When I cried myself to sleep one night, the word was right there. Why don't you shake somebody's hand? Tell them God's word for you is that you are an overcomer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I got some people here, thank you, Jesus, that wonder why I holler so loud. I got some folk, you know, they don't understand why I holler when I preach, but that's all right. You were there. When I had bills and didn't have any money, you were there. When I had pain and didn't have no medication, you weren't there. When I had children and didn't have enough food in the refrigerator, you weren't there. When I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, but I holler because I was right there. And I kept on praising the Lord. I praise him till I got some money. I praise him until the pain went away. I praise him until I got food in the refrigerator. I got something to holler about. If you'd been through what I've been through, you'd holler too. I wonder if I got any hollerers in here. Say
If it had not 